So I felt very much that I didn't want to study drama academically because I don't feel it's an academic... I don't want to read a play and talk about its themes. I want to do it and right. understand right, it from right, within, right. you know. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Cass. Hello, Cass. Hello. I should describe the room we're in, I guess. It's a very warm room. All of the walls are painted black, so it kind of feels like a black box theatre for people who who are aware of black box theatres. And it's got a black box theatre kind of floor, but it's downstairs at the rich mix theatre space and an arts space. It feels a bit like a boiler room. Which should be quieter than some backgrounds, so hopefully background sounds fans will be pleased with that. Now we've set the scene. (laughs) Uh, The first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I know you through some theatre work or theatrical work, actor-director called Mark Stevenson, who is a friend of both of ours. Right. Uh, We've both worked with an amount over the years. Yeah, I think so, in different ways. Yeah, Yeah. Um, who seems to know everyone, weirdly. He does, (laughs) he does. Um, he is a very nice person. He's so a I very guess nice person. That's, it's, it's often the nice people who connect all the other yeah. people in the arts. Exactly. Like, people like to think of networking as a completely horrible thing, and it is in some ways, but it's, it's the nice people, actually, that bring us all together. Absolutely. And actually, I'm working with him now. The reason we're in Rich Mix, in fact, is right. because uh, right. I'm working on a show called Twist Off that Mark's producing, so he seems to be the link, the glue in, in everything, right. really. We did a whole series of shows in right. a library in Deptford. We did. It was kind of like a month, every month. Every month for a year, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we kind of got together and you were doing the kind of improvised devising kind of part of, yeah. of, of that project and I was trying to do the kind of social media, yeah. reaching out to people and documenting kind of part of the project. So you did end up project. in it a couple did, of times. I did end up in it much more than I expected, <laughs> I think like three times yeah. by the end. Uh, the first time I had to like do a, a true storytelling about uh, choosing to have a, a vasectomy. Yes, that's exactly uh, what it was. Right. Which was very brave. It was, it was a very strange kind of thing to do in a library yeah. to some kind of young people yeah. uh, who had kind of very... They, they were very surprised by that, uh, that, that story as well, so it was an interesting interaction. We should maybe explain that the, yes. the premise of yeah, this yeah, show yeah. was that every month we would um, spend an hour in the morning reading the newspapers and uh, pick a story that had been in the news that day and then make a show about it and perform it that evening. Um, right. And you were doing the social media bit, so we were asking for people's opinions um, over the internet and over social media to help uh, make the show in double quick time, and then we perform it to whoever was in the library that afternoon and evening. Right. That's right. So yeah. So yeah. So the audience were often not necessarily people who would be particularly interested in that subject, but but it seemed to work. I mean, it, it, was it, it did. It was an interesting. Yeah. It, all of those. You know, every single month, it was always a really interesting yeah. thing to do. Yeah. Like, devising something in public is an interesting thing. Yeah. Just, like, having everybody milling around and, like, different people throughout the day obviously having an influence yeah. on the piece that we were making. But they weren't really part of the team or there at the end of the day necessarily to see it happen. And also, over the year, how you got to know <clears throat> some of those people. So, it's right. in Deptford particularly, the library's amazing and they're really um, good at working with the local community and there's a lot of homeless people who to come and right. spend time in the library in the mornings and um, and so I, it's sort of really nice because by the end of the year I felt like they were really inputting to the work they were really, yeah which is great. 
and lots of those pieces as well like they were about political issues a lot mm. of the time um, and sometimes they kind of did touch on kind of homelessness or like uh, the cuts and yeah, all of those kind of yeah. things that were happening uh, at the time the, the one I I don't know if you did that one because you didn't do every one of them but there was there was one of them where there was actually like we were doing it about the terrorist attacks that happened in France uh, and it was still happening there was still it was I still happening was there, it was very one. strange thing yeah. to be in the middle of this library kind of doing this piece about events that were still unfolding mm. yeah. uh, as much as anything else um and it was yeah it was a really interesting gig really yeah. i guess every now and then we'd have a month where we did something entirely light-hearted yeah, that wasn't right. physical at all and that felt quite weird right like <laughs> christmas or whatever yeah, exactly. yeah right and it was and it was you know it was it was interesting like an interesting style of theater i remember thinking like it it, it's kind of, it was kind of very Brechtian, I guess, for people who, who know what that means. It was very much clearly a piece of theatre and doing kind of political pieces and then responses to those kind of pieces and stuff like that. But it was fun as well. There was it a lot was of comedy. Really fun. Yeah, there was a lot of comedy, that's true. And there was often music, weirdly. But, right. Um, well, that was kind of one of the briefs. And that's quite Brechtian, right? Yeah. That's quite a Brechtian yeah. thing to have both comedy and, and music and stuff like that you happening. you writing a song about a bomber in about half an hour at some point. Right, because you played the flute, right? <laughs> yeah, until the, the month I managed to trap my That's fingers right. in the door and end up in hospital. Oh gosh, clever. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was really, that was really yeah, yeah, dramatic. Trying to carry all the musical instruments in, in a hurry out of, out of a store cupboard that slammed on my fingers. That's right, yeah, I think. And you couldn't do the, second, the, like, the main performance because we did like a, a, a practice performance which people could also watch. And you couldn't do the main one. I think we, yeah. everyone had to kind of uh, improvise a kind of solution to your lack of, of being there. <laughs> Completely. But it was very reasonable to leave because you get yeah, it was a painful injury. I was in casualty trying to make sure that I hadn't completely broken two fingers, but it was all right. I mean, that's something people don't think about acting in theatre sometimes. Like the, the actual, there are risks. There are mm. quite a lot of like practical risks, you know, either when you're on a stage with like props and things or when you're the kind of that kind of theater so when you're in the world you can't control what happens around you i've broken a foot on stage before fractured a heel um, <laughs> wow and i was touring in brazil of all places and um it was animal farm and we had masks these half head masks and i was playing one of the horses and so i had this huge nose that came out a really long way so i couldn't see anything beneath me beneath eye level um, and there was a move that involved doing an enormous leap off a three-metre-high platform, um, and one of the stagehands had left a flagpole sticking out. So, And you, you learn to do it in rehearsal from muscle memory, so you can judge where, how uh, far you're falling, and you right. get used to that right. drop. And so if you hit something on the way down, it screws you completely, because you, you can't then judge where the floor is. So I slammed into the floor, fractured my heel. Yes, I've always... Fun. I mean, I've, every time I perform, I'm always very aware of how clumsy I am. Yeah. And, like, it's, 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 it always seems strange. Like, I remember doing uh, a production of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern at university, and there's, like, a whole... There's lots of... I was Guildenstern, there's lots of... Flip, flicking uh, a coin Coins. and all of that stuff and like I did get it right on on stage but I, I just was like why am I doing a, a thing that involves you know actual kind of coordination <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not really my my, my strength um, so yeah like I'm always in awe of, of, of the physical kind of yeah of physical performers performers who are aware of their bodies in those kind of ways but obviously as you said it, it can Sometimes go wrong you it. yeah but the thing that was weird about that incident though was um the realisation of how strong adrenaline can be because I, as I did it I thought oh I've done something quite bad I think and then I just kind of got up and carried on 
because I didn't really know what else to do because it was in the middle of the play. Right. And literally the second I took a bow at the end, I could not put any weight on my heel at all. And But it, it's like somehow adrenaline had carried me through to the point where I didn't have to keep going anymore. Right. And then all of a sudden it was excruciating. Wow. She's very bizarre. Yeah. Your body just going on autopilot. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I guess it's like really hardwired into us this kind of concept of the show must go on yeah. it's not like it's not just a kind of theatre cliche <laughs> it's, it's actually what humans do in any situation it's just a sort of you don't really know what else to yeah, do I have so to carry it on, plow on and yeah, I've got this on. commitment <laughs> I'll do that you know and, and I think that's quite relatable in, in you know in, in all circumstances really I can think of a lot of circumstances completely unrelated to performance yeah. where I've been like the, sh- the thing must happen like, and then afterwards I've been like why did I yeah, why, did, why did, I did I do that I think it is something to do with the adrenaline I think I think it just kind of puts you in a very single-minded state that means that that's all your brain can process. Like, I don't know, maybe that's scientifically products, I don't know. Yeah, who knows, but <laughs> it makes sense to me anyway on a kind of, like, whether it's real or just a good metaphor, mm-hmm. it, it makes sense. And, and so, like, the second question I ask everyone, which I guess we've given people a bit of a hint at, really, but in terms of the first answer, but uh, the second question is, what do you do now? Uh, I'm an actor. <laughs> I think that's probably quite clear. Yeah. Um, and I also co-run a theatre company uh, called Teatro Vivo, which Mark is also part of. Right. So sometimes you're his boss, sometimes he's your boss. Basically, basically. yeah, that's, that's how it works. <laughs> we employ each other periodically. Right, right. I've um, got friends like that. Yeah. It's useful. Yeah, <laughs> useful absolutely. Way of making some money. Uh, yes, so I, I act and I produce. Right. Oh, and I should say, actually, that since we've mentioned Mark so much, Mark is also a, a performer in my other podcast that I make, The Family Tree, where he plays the character of Mark, uh, which is a little bit confusing. <laughs> he does Mark playing Mark. Yeah, he does get around. Um, he does get around. When did performance come into your life, I guess? You might not have even been acting at first. Uh, it was acting, actually, but really, really young. I think <laughs> I played... I think probably the the bug really hit me when I was at school, probably about 10 maybe, maybe a bit younger than that even, and I got to play the White Witch in The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Oh, wow. Which is like great perfect part. power part, do you know what I mean? Right. I remember striding all the way down the aisle in the hall in a white fake fur coat, because it was the 80s, fake <laughs> fur coat and some kind of stiletto white high-heeled boots that somebody's mum had found me out of a jumble sale or something, <laughs> and just loving the sort of sense of... Uh, being this extraordinary character, um, right? And then I, and then I also was really into uh, languages. So at one point, I used to tell everybody I wanted to be a French actress, and um, then I realised that it wasn't <laughs> possible to change one's right, nationality right, right. quite so easily. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think I think I was kind of pretty clear that it was the thing I wanted to pursue from when I was really young. Actually, wow. yeah, which is lucky, I, I guess. Yeah, I mean, lots of people don't know what they want to do for ages felt like it was always pretty clear right I mean I I guess yeah I mean I guess I've been similar to that in that I always knew I wanted to create things or write things and like from from a very early age like that I think my my first when I decided that I was interested in performance was similar like I I played the bad baron in this in the end of primary school pantomime (laughs) kind of thing Um, it's actually I mean actually like remembering back like you know, my big songs were a Michael Jackson song and a Gary Glitter song, which is a terrible combination now. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's what I 
that's what I did. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, being the bad guy really it's appealed fun. to me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, a lot of fun. I think probably if I'd <laughs> had to play this sort of... Um, although actually I did have an earlier theatrical experience of that at school than that, uh, which was the Pied Piper of Hamelin, where, again, because it was the 80s and this sort of thing wasn't frowned, frowned upon so much then, all the blonde children were cast as the children of the town and all the dark children <laughs> were the wow, rats. Wow, wow. Yeah, it was the Pied Piper of Hamelin I was the bad baron in. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. So my first, my first acting experience, which didn't, didn't, I didn't enjoy quite so much, was uh, was playing a rat along with. There was one Scottish girl, a couple of Italians, and all of the ethnic minority kids, which is wow, just wow, that's so terrible. Awful. That is so terrible. But it just wouldn't happen now. But you know, I mean, you hope you never know. Hope, yeah. But yeah, that's that is terrible. Yeah. But so you so you you're right. So you but when you were the white witch, you were cast as the the villain, but it was a more, much more powerful, powerful yeah. role than yeah. The rats exactly. didn't get to speak. It was rubbish. Right. <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, and, and as a, as I guess as a woman within like acting as well, like evil roles are often the best roles for women because yeah. yeah exactly I've kind of ended up being really pleased that I never even when I was in my early 20s had the sort of blonde juve lead sort of pretty right. girl next door type of look because actually those parts are really dull right they are yeah. they really are yeah right I mean yeah so it, yeah it's, 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 it's an interesting kind of like thing that you like had the power for that one like I, I imagine that was part of it because acting and performance there is a power thing in it I mean not to say we're all kind of power crazed individuals but it's it's power's a thing that's yeah. within it that you kind of maybe I, I don't know I don't feel very much power in many other parts of my life so when I'm performing there's, uh, and there's also I think even power in um, if you're playing a character that has no power but is ex- has a lot of vulnerability for right, example right it's always about power there's something very powerful yeah. in in showing that to a big group of right. people which is something you also don't get to do in real life or if you do it's seen as a weakness somehow you right know? so i think that's it's not necessarily just playing powerful characters but it's it's that sort of something to do with with being up on being in public playing some extreme emotion or other right. in any direction is quite, feels quite powerful I think. no that's true and uh, that's also something I feel about like it's, it's a slightly adjacent art form but like about true storytelling is like one of the things that can be very powerful about that is people being listened to when they're not normally listened to like and and, and again that's the thing like I was bullied a lot in school, but now the things I was bullied for are the things that are a real strength in performance, like being vulnerable, being sensitive, all of these things. That's, that makes you a, a good performer. And so it's kind of like, it gives you that sort of, yeah, it's nice to kind of feel that, the, the, the things, the flaws that can be mm. kind of sort of strengths in performance. And I think that's often true, even in, in fictional, or like theatrical performance. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I've, I realised... Because I, I, I've always felt that I was probably quite sensitive to the world in general, and I used to say oversensitive, and then I realised that that was a stupid thing to say. Right, because, they've made us think that about yeah, ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sensitivity, <laughs> why is that a bad thing? Right. It's really good to be sensitive right. to the world, surely. Absolutely. Um, and it was a, a, a director once said to me, actually, he said, you're not oversensitive, you're sensitive, and that's why you're good at what you do. Right. But it's, it, it, you have to be, otherwise you can't empathise and you can't understand other people. And, right. you know, I don't see why that's... 
been made a negative. Right, me neither. It's, I, and I've had that, those kind of words used at me, like oversensitive or just emotional, those yeah. kind of things, yeah. which, you know, are often coded in terms of women in society. Yeah. Like I've had like, my mum used to always call me hysterical, which is a, a classic uh, kind of way of conditioning women to feel bad about having emotions. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like we, we always talk about how men don't feel emotions. Like, well, not everyone, but I often do. But like women are also told not to feel emotions mm-hmm. just in very different ways. Well, I, th- I think, espe- and especially the, the sort of cliches about actors, are that right. the men are all massive egotists and the women are all crazy. Right, and right. And so there's, there's a that. thing, and I, I certainly know now if I ever have to go to a doctor for anything, I don't tell them I'm an actor because as soon as I do, there's, a, there's an assumption that I'm making up or over-exaggerating or being slightly hysterical about right. whatever it is I'm right. trying to say. Right, Which is completely bizarre, but it's, it's what happens. Right, no, I believe it. <laughs> Yeah, I believe it. I mean, so, so right, so you, you were the White Witch. Like, where, how did you get from there to here? Like, what was, how, yeah, I mean, uh, that's a long journey, I guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in a potted version, I had lots of nice parts at school, as probably most people who ended up being professional did. I did a lot of amdram in my little village. I, I sort of, there, there seemed to be quite, a, weirdly, for a tiny village, there were three girl, teenage girls who all went on to train professionally, and we sort of swapped the parts amongst us every year in the sort of Christmas show oh, wow. Panto or whatever from the age of, from the age of about 13 upwards because there was no one else and then had a slight detour because I then went to university in Leeds and studied law for three years which sounds a really bizarre thing to do there's also a performance in law though there in is some ways. I guess people have said that to you loads yeah there <laughs> is but it's also I mean you know I I didn't particularly enjoy my degree I my my parents and I think they were probably right, actually, had just sort of kept on saying it would be a, that university is a lovely place to go and sort of spend three years just figuring out who you are and growing up a bit. Right. Go to drama school afterwards if you want to. And I, I took their advice and it was a total waste of time doing law and I only did it because I couldn't think of any other subject that I wanted to study because I felt very much that I didn't want to study drama academically because I don't feel it's an academic I don't want to read a play and talk about its themes. I want to do it and right, understand right, it from right, within, right. you know. So I sort of picked law on a bit of a whim, thinking it might be a good thing to have, which is, hasn't. It's been entirely. It's been pretty useless, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but I did. I did have a lovely time at university, and I'm quite glad I went. And I'm also quite glad that I then went to drama school a bit later because I think I was older and a little bit more able to cope with it. Because it, I mean, I'm sure people think, you know you spend your time at drama school running around playing games and pretending to be a tree or whatever the cliche is but <laughs> actually it's really tough it's much tougher than university much yeah, harder work I believe um, much longer hours uh, much more needing to really figure out stuff about yourself and so I went to I then finished university and applied to drama schools and went to Lambda afterwards so and my parents were actually very nice about it considering that was a hell of a long time that I was a student and they right. were supporting me I mean, I guess it's, it's also probably useful in that a lot of the time, as, as far as I understand it, drama schools, they like people to have a bit of life experience yeah. before they get there. Yeah, I think certainly Lambda um, and more and more are wanting to take people when they're 20, 21 and not when they're 18 because they're just sort of better able to knuckle down and really focus on the work rather than going, ooh, I'm away from home for the first time and I'm right. going to get drunk and sleep with everybody. Right, <laughs> and, and, more to, and more to draw on too, like more yeah. life. And also, I mean, I, I like... You know, in terms of brain development, like we're still adolescent until our early twenties, so that makes a lot of sense in other ways. I mean, I do often think that, like, we're supposed to do our most important learning, 
you know, in some of the years when it's really hard to learn properly because we haven't got our brains in the right places yet. But isn't it the thing that now, <laughs> like, if I, if I was studying some of the things I was studying when I was 16, 17, 18 now, I'd be delighted and interested in right, all of that. Absolutely. And at the time, I just was annoyed and didn't want to have to write an essay and right. all of that stuff. It was sort of the wrong age to... To yeah, have, get be given all that knowledge. <laughs> no, I, I often think I, I went on a, a school exchange trip to Japan when I was fifteen, which is amazing. But I really wish I hadn't been fifteen because yeah. all I did was like worry about who I fancied in the group, like oh, and all no. of that stuff, and like nothing, nothing like like you know. Yeah, I saw lots of great things, and they are important, and they have influenced me, but. You know, a few years later, I would have yeah. devoured like all of the things I could have learned and seen. But you know, yeah, no. fifteen-year-old boy is not <laughs> the right age for any sort right, of cultural right, impact. Right, right, absolutely. So yeah, okay. So you, so you went to drama school. Is that where you kind of decided or or kind of gravitated towards the kind of work you do now? Or no. I mean, I think I was pretty clear right from the beginning that theatre was was the thing I was interested in more right. than filming. Right. But for a few years, I just did some sort of jobbing jobbing actor work in all three, you know, theatre, film, telly. And then I met Sophie Austin, who is Teatro Vivo's artistic director, and I did a show, a couple of shows for her, and one night we were sitting around drinking wine, and I was saying, you know, actually, I think I've come to the conclusion that all... I really want from a career is some sort of creative control and ability to make work and have some sort of say and stake in that work right. rather than being an actor for hire, which can often be dispiriting is the wrong word, but very not well, absolutely powerless if right, we're going back to right, power. Right. Um, and also not very creative right. often. There's a sense, I think, a lot, not so much in theatre, but certainly in film and telly, that essentially you're just hired people who turn up and stand on the right spot and Right, rather than collaborators. Exactly, yeah, absolutely not absolutely. collaborators. So Sophie said, come on then, let's let's start making some work. So that's when Teatro Vivo became a more ongoing concern and we've spent the last 12 years now building up from there, which is, has been brilliant. And as I've slowly watched friends of mine, brilliant, talented friends of mine, drop out of acting because they couldn't handle the... Grind, um, the grind, yeah. and then not knowing ever, and then never having any sort of pat- not, no patent, no growth to your career or any of that. No control over what kind of parts you're going to get, yeah. and you know you only get offered the kind of parts that they think that the kind of person you are exactly. is allowed. So exactly, that's restrictive for everyone. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and I and also I think you can have a really brilliant year where you do loads of really great work, and you think, well, this is it now, and I'll go to the next level. And then you have next year suddenly nothing happens at all, and so there's no sort of right. gradual increase of <laughs> stuff. Um, and what's been so great about Teatro Vivo is I felt that we have, you know, we've grown a lot over the last twelve years. And when we I look back now at the body of work we've made, it's really I feel really proud of that. And, right. And I haven't ever felt that sense of powerlessness that's made me think, well, I'm not doing this anymore because. It's too miserable, <laughs> right? And and yeah, like and yeah, there's later I want to want to ask you about that. But I guess before that, like, wh- why do you prefer theatre to film? Like, why why was that so clear to you from the start? I think well, lots of reasons, but part partly because I like to be part of an ensemble, and certainly when you're working with a, a sort of company of actors, uh, there's much more of a sense of we're all making a thing together. And even in more commercial theatre, there's some of that still I don't like I, I think film can be very boring there's a lot of standing sitting around standing around waiting around yes. doing things 15 times doing stuff out of order so you never get quite a sense of right. of 
of the journey that right, your character's right. on. Um, not much rehearsal, if any. And actually, I really enjoy the rehe- rehearsing and that process of working with the director to, to make something that works. Those reasons, really. They're good reasons. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I think there's, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in what draws people to what kind of, what they do. And I think those are, yeah, like... Uh, a lot of people think when they think of actors they only think of aspiring to Hollywood right and in fact there's so many other options so many other ways to be an actor I I had a very weird conversation one of the first jobs I did out of drama school was a a dancing job actually as a dancer on the film Pride and Prejudice and there was a lot of big starry names on that and I remember sitting there with my youthful you know uh, optimism about everything and over breakfast talking to Tom Hollander who was um, uh, my brain is gone. He was, but he was in the film anyway. And he, uh, he listened to me spouting all of this stuff. And he said, yeah, I used to feel like you. And then I hit 40 and felt like, actually, I just wanted a car to pick me up in the morning and a decent salary. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time I thought, that's so depressing. And I'm not quite 40 yet. And I still don't feel like him. So that's, 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 a, good, that's yeah. a good sign. And so the, the work that you make at Teatro Vivo, how would you, what would you describe uh, that work as I guess maybe you know what's it what was it and what is it now because you said it's it's progressed as yeah well. I mean I think we were very it's it's we've actually stayed pretty true to the principles we started off with I think it's just it's grown in terms of scope and size and, right and also I've realized recently it's grown in terms of just how skilled the people we work with are right and, and we've got a really good sort of crowd that we work with fairly regularly who've all become very skilled at the particular type of work we make which is quite unusual right so our work is i hate to call it immersive because that makes people think of punch drunk and it's not quite the same as that but it's it's never in theaters it often takes place in public spaces we've done shows in supermarkets in libraries on the streets of deptford currently on the streets of shoreditch in and out of shops and it usually involves groups of audience going on a bit of an adventure I guess you you would say and it's very narrative driven so unlike Punch Drunk and a lot of other site specific or immersive work it's a very strong narrative and and we always have a story that we want to tell so in terms of how it it works it's very it needs actors who can be very spontaneous and and react to whatever's going on around them because it's different every single night right and the best actors are the ones who love that so something weird happens and they're like it was so great because this guy walked into the middle of my scene and started saying this and I could react with it you know so people who <laughs> right. are freaked out by and that it's lot, not going to work a lot of actors will be freaked out by that yeah. for sure yeah. I mean it's a very specific like as you say it's a very specific skill set I think that that, that work often works terms. weirdly with people who've done a lot of comedy or um, and obviously people who've done a lot of improv um, and we also now work with the, the other thing that I've really enjoyed in the last couple of years is finding some writers that we can work with who know how to write. They've often been people who've performed for us as well, actually, who uh, know how to write a script that leaves gaps enough for the actors to be able to improvise in, in the spaces. But because obviously you're not on a stage, you right. can't just have this rigid script because sometimes things are going to happen that mean you need to deviate from it and right. come back to it again. So that's been a really interesting process uh, getting to that point and I think when we started we, we were you know we were not quite so ambitious as we are now and we were making stuff you know in a nice park in Hither Green rather than in and out of a tattoo parlour down to the river <laughs> right <laughs> halfway up a 
uh, a bridge in the middle of Deptford High Street or whatever. So yeah, it's it's good. It interacts with the community. Yeah. You know, even like people who who wouldn't, they weren't intending to go to see it. Like they were just passing by that sort of thing. That's one of my favourite things actually is that our audiences are much much bigger than our paying audiences because we rehearse in public spaces. We perform, as you say, often in public spaces. And although if you haven't bought a ticket, you probably won't see the whole show. We we do get to know the local community and they are often uh, interested and um, we welcome that and uh, certainly for example on this show we have a a young man who now has a line in the show who just came along and was very very interested and wanted to know how he could get involved and lives around the corner and and we sort of found a thing (laughs) for him to do. And uh, people who are now selling mulled wine halfway around the route because they were... They wow. were so keen to, to be part of it in some way. Um, That's great. But I think it's I think it's really important, and you see lots of stuff with other immersive companies where they piss off local communities really right, badly. Right, a lot. Yeah, but it's not. I don't think it's, it's that weird. hard. You just have yeah. to accept that you're in someone else's space and that they ha- were here before you, and that if you're going to enter their space, you you ought to really try and make friends with them and explain what you're doing and um, and uh, enable them to be part of it if they want or to ignore you as best they can if, if they don't, you know. Right. It's, it's, yeah. um, you're, it, you don't have first dibs on it, so why should you right. be uh, assuming that you that you have, you know, the right to, to take that from them? It's, it's strange. Not, it's a yeah. strange idea. Like, and, and, you know, I like the word that, that you, you do, like... I like community theatre, mm. but like you, like you say, uh, there are bad associations that people might have with it that sometimes you need to like work through to get people to kind of like enjoy it because yeah. everyone's assuming that the performers are going to come down and tell them how to how to have their space. They're not expecting performers to kind of work with them yeah. in that kind of way. Yeah, it's sometimes and sometimes you know it's difficult to know where to draw the line and when we were making a show in Deptford we had a woman who was because we often have a formal community chorus as well who if people want to come to rehearsals and workshops and things we offer those up and and then they can take part in the show as much or as little as they want and we had one woman who was homeless and had an alcohol problem and um, but she had been a singer and she was had an extraordinary brilliant voice there was a point on the route where she would sing as the audience went past and it was it was gorgeous beautiful but there was a couple of nights where it became really difficult because she had had quite a lot too much to drink by the time they got to that point and it's being slightly aggressive and then we had to figure out how to put a steward um, in a position so we we could stop that being a problem in case she was aggressive towards any audience members so so it's sort of a a fine line to tread but I'm always glad we try right yeah you're never going to get it right every time and it's and and certainly you know all all kind of of these things are a they're a conversation they're a communication so sometimes you're going to get things wrong but then you're going to learn things from that and you know it goes back and forward yeah exactly I suspect a lot of companies would have gone oh that's too big a risk we can't have an, an alcoholic taking part in the show. What if? What if? What if? And I'm just glad that we tried to let make it happen, even right. even if it periodically didn't work so well. They were nice. That it was brilliant. So, you know, it's, it's good. and you know, if, if it, and it's, if it's something that she wants to do as well, yeah. especially like if you if she is a singer as well, yeah. like you know, that's that's giving her back some some of the things exactly. that she will not get these days. And actually, we still so um, still if we're walking through Deptford and we see her, it was you know it's. it's great because it was we stop and have a chat and um 
and we were able to put her in touch with some people at Deptford Lounge who were able to help her and uh, find some accommodation as well, which was really useful. Brilliant. So. I mean, that's that's a that's a, a proper community service, yeah. you know, in a, in, a, in a good way. Like, and and the kind of work that you do as well, like, so it's, it's Dickens, isn't it? This one. Is, so or is, this, or is... a lot of the work we make is, is sort of adaptations of classic stories that people maybe already know right. or know to an extent which means people can drop in and out of them yeah in um, some ways which is kind of good for the, the kind of site specific element of yeah it. exactly although i think often they're changed uh, enough so that <laughs> you might not know that it was an adaptation that's true so this this particular show is um very loosely based on oliver twist but it's a story of migration to london right right because there's a kind of topicality to them too like a little bit like the, the project that we met on yeah, exactly. And obviously, at the moment with with Brexit, the migration is a huge issue. Absolutely. Um, but also, London has uh, is, is got migrants from all around the world, so it feels like a, a perfect modern day version of, of you know that Oliver Twist coming to London because that's where everything happened, and that's still happening to an extent today. Right. It happens from a much wider pool of people I mean I think if Dickens was making uh, you know was writing nowadays I'm sure he would be writing about yeah. you know the, the migrant situation like both the refugee crisis mm-hmm. and you know Brexit as you say mm-hmm. I think those would be absolutely pressing concerns I hope well, he'd, you know, he'd have I mean, to he's really, a person of his time make, but yeah. so he'd have to be a different person to be now but exactly but, but it would, it would still... make sense for him to write about um, and actually funny enough he, he wrote a lot about Shoreditch and this area right um, and the poverty of it the poverty of which it. is ironic now right? yeah, yeah. yes well I mean, I'm not saying there isn't poverty here. There is still, yeah, that's true. I think one of the things that I'm really enjoying about this show is the sense of looking beneath uh, the gentrification because I think most, and a lot of theatre-going audiences will be the sort of of people who, when they come to Shoreditch, it's for a night out or um, to come and see some culture or whatever it might be. And And what this show is doing, and it did for me too, is to make you look a bit harder at where we are and see what's maybe underneath that because there's actually a number of communities rubbing along side by side that don't really interact with each other in any way and, and right. there's, there's a number of different shore ditches beneath that slightly hipsterish surface that are still here and you know I think it's good that we pay attention and notice that right you generally do adaptations or would you say or is like Um, I mean reinterpretations maybe is a better yeah I think we generally have a starting point from somewhere so the Odyssey was a big show that we did Uh, we did a Grimm's Tales that sort of thing so yes I think you're probably right I think what we generally then tend to do is get in a room with a bunch of people who are improvisers and devisers and build it out from there and so with the Grimm's Tales for example we, we all just read loads of the stories there's loads of them you can't read all of them but we all found the ones we p- that particularly struck us and then um, had all came out with sort of characters or scenarios or modern day versions of what that could be now and, and made lots of scenes and, and versions of those stories and then picked ones to go in and into the final show and built a, a sort of narrative structure around that of the brothers going story hunting so it's, it's sort of always a take on it rather than a rather than a sort of straightforward adaptation I guess and then I guess there's the third strand of like it being the actual location and that mm. having influences on how you adapt it and also how those scenes that you've yeah. improvised get slotted in I yeah. guess I think we always say that the space is a collaborator just as much right, as right. any performer and it really is and I think 
that's another thing about the performers that we work with that really work and the people who get excited about having an interesting space to play in. Right. Which is is always the most fun bit I think when we first go out to a location that we're performing in and everyone gets really excited about where they can do bits of their scene from and which which right. trees they can climb yeah, or yeah. <laughs> what what sort of bits of structure they can use yeah and there's space. a thing how can I how can I slot that in exactly yeah. that exactly no I love that kind of that kind of theatre and I think that's an, it's an interesting thing I, it, like one of the first things I, I did in terms of theatre was at, like at university I did a, a play with my, my friend who like he realised from my script it was about a bar crawl and he was like we're on a campus university Lancaster's a campus and so there's like a bar crawl that people can do within this campus so we sort of did this bar crawl it was about like Interestingly, for what I do now, it was about kind of two laddish men getting uh, getting kidnapped and uh, confronted with their emotions by two kind of Pinteresque characters. Um, but but like one of the things that I loved about that show um, was yeah like one of the things that we was part of that collaborator that was the that was the location was that you know it snowed that night and so we had these two people coming to kidnap our 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 two protagonists walking across snow so it was crunching and people sort of first heard the crunching and I could never have planned that yeah that's that's just something that happened exactly and that's the absolute joy of it so um last week obviously it was firework it was bonfire night right and there was an extraordinary moment in um in one of the scenes we were doing where an absolutely perfect point I had had to leave this massive pause because there was also a train going past and, and the, the rule is that if there's a train very loudly going past, we'll, we'll leave, let it go before we say anything. And, and I, I gave my line and, and, and it was a great sort of powerful line and then, and then fireworks just exploded at the end oh, of the wow. line perfectly and wow. it, was just, it couldn't have happened any better. It will That's never great. happen again, yeah, but exactly. it's great. Right, and it, only the people there in that moment exactly. sort of experienced it as well, which is something that's really exciting. Exactly. About and it, it even means that things like, we did a show after The Tempest, which was a, the story of what happened on the island after Prospero had left, what happens to those spirits who were left behind. Well, that's a great idea. Which was, was really fun. It also it it can it involved some bits of, sort of flashback to the actual tempest. So we did the storm scene at the beginning, and there was one night in Holland Park where it was abs- it absolutely huge thunderstorm just as we started the storm scene, and and it was so exhilarating. We were all completely soaked to the skin. But the, the idea that you could you could talk about thunder cracking and, and the lightning flashing and there and it was actually happening right. it was extraordinary I was speaking to someone last night actually who'd seen it who said nothing will ever compare to that it was so amazing to the elemental nature of it Wow yeah it, I mean that's yeah that's so good and and I should say as well like earlier on you sort of alluded to the fact that you couldn't remember something because your 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 brain uh, was kind of not able to get the memories and to just to kind of clarify that like part of the reason for that or probably all of the reason for that is that you're pregnant right yeah, I'm eight months pregnant right eight months yeah. pregnant yeah, and yeah. so when you were delivering that firework ended speech. Like, you were eight months pregnant doing all of this stuff that you've been doing. Yes, I mean, how's that been? Well, weirdly, no one seems to believe it. They all think I'm wearing a bump <laughs> under the costume, and then when they discover that I'm actually genuinely pregnant, they're all very surprised, which is odd to me, because the character doesn't really allude to being pregnant at all, which I really like. Right. But I just keep thinking, why would you think that I would bother to have a pregnancy <laughs> bump for no reason <laughs> whatsoever? Um, but I guess it's just because people don't see very heavily pregnant women doing much doing things, often, yeah, anything, yeah, right. Which is really bizarre. It has been 
uh, I'm getting tired now. That is true. <laughs> um, I'm, it's getting sort of it's at the point where I'm. It's hard to do it on my own shoes. So everything is just kind of much harder work right. than, than uh, you know getting into costume at the beginning of the evening feels like quite a daunting prospect but um, again adrenaline is a, is a really useful tool I think right. because for the duration of the show I feel absolutely fine and brilliant and then afterwards I restop and I'm like no I'm exhausted I have to go to bed now. I, I've been really pleased that Teatro Vivo uh, have all been, all the rest of the gang have been enormously supportive in allowing me to do it because right. I we finished three weeks before my due date so they could well have said, oh, it's a bit risky. Right. Um, we'd rather not. Uh, and they've enabled me to do it and they've made, they tried to make rehearsals as easy for me as possible and let me not be here when I didn't need to be and stuff so I didn't get too knackered. And I think the best thing about it for me is that I'm playing a character that just happens, it's, the, the, her pregnancy isn't part of the story. Right. It's not mentioned. She's a kick-ass businesswoman um she's <laughs> not a particularly pleasant character um she's exploiting a lot of migrant workers which is not particularly great but we, which is all the not what you normally expect a pregnant woman to be doing and right. i think for me it's really important actually that that you don't suddenly have to become a mum figure right. because you're having a baby that you can carry on being a three-dimensional person with a life so i'm really glad that I'm having the opportunity to do yeah that. that's great yeah that's great like and basically kind of after that show you're like it, it, now it's time to like go into like actually the process of actually yeah giving birth and basically yeah. I mean going going and kind of go you're going home right yeah. and all of yeah, that stuff I, I split my time between Dorset and London so I'm obviously in London full time at the moment doing this but literally the day after it finishes I'm going to go back to Dorset because I would rather give birth there than London so I'm hoping that it doesn't happen too early so I'm in the wrong part of the country right yeah yeah I mean yeah that would be an interesting thing to have to fold into the the improvised scene well, it's, like I, I it would be worse than chopping your finger <laughs> yeah, the door. but I think first time labours are usually pretty long and at the beginning it's relatively spasmodic I, I think so I'm guessing because the play's not that long. If I went to labour in the middle of the show, I'd probably just keep going till the end of the show and then worry about it. But, um, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, there's, I, I, cause I, you know, I was saying to you before we, we turned the, the, the mic on that, like I, I used to work, because I, I did work with the under fives and I did a lot of baby rhyme times. And that, you know, means that you, that a lot of the people you're working with, the mums, are also pregnant with their next child as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I've, I've heard a lot, and also at Baby Rhyme Times, you hear a lot of, like, pregnancy stories and birth stories. And, and everything that, that I've heard from lots and lots of different women suggests to me that there's no kind of, there's no common experience. Yeah, that's true. And everybody likes to think there is. And, yeah. like, I, I, you know, I... I, I, I you know, mums, people who've been mums already often assume that their experience is what everyone else is going to feel. Yeah, totally. um, and I think, you know, actual mums of people, that's an even kind of more interesting dynamic as well. Like a lot of like, you know, parents always think that they're the experts, you know, but they're, they're, their children are having completely different experiences to them and in different contexts and all sorts of things. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd certainly, I, I also think parents, Parents, so our parents who had kids 30 years ago right, or whatever, right. have forgotten quite a lot of the stuff that right. happened. So they'll say things that you think, I just don't think that could... My, my mother is... And I found pregnancy, uh, in all honesty, quite frustrating because you can't do all the things you normally do. And right. I'm, I'm the sort of person that likes to do things and doesn't like to have to rest or be told that I can't manage to do stuff, you know. Right. 
um, and my mother's worse than me. And I said to her the other day, how did you cope, Mum? Because you must have been really grumpy when you were pregnant because, you, you know, you couldn't play sport or get up a ladder. And she went, I don't remember not being able to do anything. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> OK, you've, you've forgotten. Okay, fine. Right, right. <laughs> right, because, there's, there's, you know, there's... There's, you can't have mind isn't you can't have mind over matter for everything. <laughs> no, and like certainly you know our, our physical bodies, our situation of, of yeah. like, like you know we can't control those things. No, and I thought I could for ages, and then I got to the point where I realised that actually I just didn't have the stomach muscles anymore to do certain things. So, you know, I was absolutely refusing to go to pregnancy yoga because it was boring and it was just breathing and I wanted to do stuff so and I have been going to a normal yoga class until very recently and I was I was going upside down and doing all shoulder stands and things and then one day I just tried to do it and just couldn't and it's like oh I don't my stomach muscles right. no longer exist I can't get myself up there right. which is a very strange sensation to suddenly and that's that's the other thing I think that I hadn't really realized is that you sort of presume it's nine months of gradual increase, but it isn't. It it it's very much fits and fits starts. Fits and starts, yeah. So they'll suddenly within sort of two or three days something you could do you really can't do anymore, and it's, right. it's quite um, disconcerting. Right, it's funny how that. I mean, that I think that continues even once you've had the child. Yeah. Like it's fits and starts in terms of a child Growth. development yeah, too. I mean, that's, that's yeah. It's interesting because yeah, we always think of these things; they'll be incremental, but yeah, that's not that's really not really not. how it goes. No, really not. And I guess you're like you're someone who uses your body as a, a tool, right? Like you're you, you you play an instrument, so you kind of you use your body as a as a musical kind of instrument, yeah. but you also you use your body in performance, right? Mm-hmm. And so it must like how has your relationship with your body kind of changed? I guess through this process. Um, I think I'm. Well, I think I'm probably very aware of my body and it's been quite interesting that, that certainly whenever I've spoken to medical professionals through this whole process that I, I seem to be much more, uh, like I notice the kicks much earlier than most people seem to. Oh, right. that. But I think that's just people who are aware and in touch with their bodies. I think I'm kind of weirdly all right with how it's changed visually it hasn't bothered me too much uh, right, you're looking down at your body looking at, at my giant yeah, belly like... um, but I have absolutely found it frustrating to not be able to use it to right. its full yeah I, I, I've spent a lot of time going fuck it and getting up a ladder when I probably shouldn't and everybody going no <laughs> right yeah I, I, I respect um, I respect mothers who make that those kind of choices but they terrify me too like I would be terrified when you were going up the ladder but I would also be like can't say anything because it's her but choice it's, it's her also body. a weird thing isn't it because I feel like I wouldn't know if I felt I couldn't get up the ladder right. safely and I sort of felt I could so therefore but I think visually to other people that just looks completely terrifying but right. I feel like I know myself well enough to know whether that's something I should or shouldn't still be doing and yeah, whether I'm I mean, capable of it. I know what you mean, but I, 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 I've often, I guess when I think of my life, there's been times when I've thought I can do things and I haven't been able to do them. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, that's true. There Maybe is always that possibility. Probably also just horrendously stubborn. And, but that's yeah. okay. And, like, it, it, and it's definitely something like people don't think about, a lot of people don't think about, that You know, lots of pregnant women carry on doing all yeah. sorts of things and are absolutely fine. But this and is the absolutely thing. Fine. I mean, there's other parts of the world where people just work, do absolutely. physical work the whole way through. And I, I respect them hugely because what I would say is that being on your feet all day becomes absolutely exhausting at a certain point and I you know the idea that you'd have to do that day in day out is is 
kind of terrifying. But, but I mean, the reality is anybody who's already got one child who has a second yeah. child, that's literally, yeah. like, that should tell everybody they're doing two, they're doing two yeah. jobs. Because, yeah. Like yeah, like, it doesn't matter if they don't feel like moving around. Exactly. They have to, because they've got another thing that's moving around exactly. that insists on them moving around. But so. it would have been harder in the days before internet shopping and being able to get someone to deliver your food to your house and right. all of that stuff, I imagine. Well, but none of that, I mean, you know, again as well, I think it is so different for so many different people that certainly anybody that's listening to this who's having a hard time, who can't do those things, who yeah. doesn't want to do those things, mm-hmm. that's absolutely fine too. Well, right? I know lots of people who've ended up, and I feel like, really lucky because they've had a relatively straightforward time of it, and, um, and I know lots of people who haven't and have been, you know, on bed rest only from six months onwards or right. whatever, and that, I mean, that must be... And that's true and frustrating as well. That's the other thing. Like nobody, nobody lies in bed uh, because they want to. Like you know, in these kind of circumstances, like yeah. people have to do what their their bodies need them to do. Well, the other thing is, I think you spend a lot of time being slightly um, terrified about. I'm, I'm going to have to move because yeah, I have a baby in my ribs. That's, that's fine. Really uncomfortable. That's fine. That's a very appropriate moment to do that. Anyway, do this and go on one side, lie, lie down on the floor. If that's not too. Annoying. That's perfectly reasonable because you're, you know, you're. you're your baby is in like an awkward position at the moment. She has a very bad habit of sticking. It's a girl, but she uh, <laughs> she has a habit of sticking a foot right in between two of my ribs, and it's absolutely excruciating. And the only way to deal with it is gravity. So if I lie down on the other side, right. she has to move. <laughs> Involuntary. Oh, that's much better. Um, what were we saying? I think it's very hard as well, especially. I mean, maybe if it's your second, you feel a lot a bit easier about it. I don't know, but. This is my first right. child, and it's quite hard not to obsess about every little thing that you feel anyway. Right. And I imagine if you're stuck on bed rest and you have nothing else to distract you apart, from, and, and you're you then become very hyper aware of what position the child's in and whether it, how much it's moving and all right. of that stuff, it, it must drive you quite mad. I don't right. I mean, but I guess when you're when you've been performing with that uh, situation, like that must have been a, a, a kind of something you've been aware of even as you've, you've had to kind of compartmentalise that I guess or like yeah. at least you'll have been aware of where, where your baby is <laughs> well yeah and she she's a pretty violent kicker um, and I've had a couple of nights giving her a small pep talk before we've gone on <laughs> come on <laughs> we're about to go on stage just give me half an hour of right. not kicking me in the ribs and then you can go back to it if you like right <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm just going to save this because I've gone down to one bar and that always makes me nervous. It, it doesn't. It's not actually a very absurd position in some ways. It's like this is. It's a position I've seen many times in uh, in uh, kind of classical uh, painting, uh, I guess. But like also, you know, we're we're both kind of used to kind of weird things yeah. with performers, right? Yeah, like yeah, we've, exactly. we, we do this kind of weird things all the time. I'm much more comfortable down here. That's the main no, thing. Exactly. And that's why, you know, I want you to be comfortable while we're having this conversation yes. or it won't be as good a conversation yes. as it might have been. It's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you uh, today, like finding out more about what your journey has been to, 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 the, to become the person who I've, I've met. You know, like, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, we've, we've had a lot of talk conversations about politics because we've yeah. uh, kind of been sat around newspapers. Um, and you know there's been some personal stuff too but like definitely like I don't think we've sort of sat down for an hour certainly and, and, and kind of no. talked about ourselves to each other really not we've argued loads about like although we, we I think politically we're generally both aligned generally yeah. aligned but we, I, we definitely both have quite strong opinions strong opinions that's right <laughs> that's true 
<laughs> That's true. Yeah, we're, we're getting towards the last last question, really, which uh, is, do you have anything to plug? And I guess we've kind of been I've touching been on some of it. I've been plugging it the whole way through this conversation. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> I'm not deliberately, it's just sort of ended up that way. But I suppose just to say that Twist Off, it's a really, it is a really interesting show and a really fun show, as well as being one that has lots of food for thought in it, I think. And it finishes on the 18th of November. And uh, tickets are on sale at Rich Mix, although they are they might be sort of in limited supply by the time this goes out. Right, right. Um, but so there'll only, only be a few days yeah, left when this goes out. There yeah. might be the odd one or two uh, still available. So it's from Rich Mix box office, and the show starts at seven thirty every evening. Uh, if you do want to come down, a lot of it is outside, so wrap up nice and warm. Right, right, right. That's and I guess that must have been another factor for you to consider, with, like you're in your, with being pregnant as well as being a, a performer. Yeah, although like, everyone's really, worry about it. Everyone else worries about it, but I'm like a human radiator at the moment. Oh, of so, course, yeah, there is that. You, you know, everyone else <laughs> is much colder than I am. I'm, gen- I'm generally kind of okay. Right, that's good. Yeah. But how can people find? Teatro Vivo generally? Uh, we've got a website. Actually, if you just type Teatro Vivo into Google, you'll find us, but it's teatrovivo.co.uk is our website. Um, and we're on Twitter, we're just at Teatro Vivo. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, people should check out things that you, you're all doing in the future as well as this current one. Yeah, we've got... Um, I won't be there because I'll be hopefully giving birth <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> but um, there's a, a bunch of sing-along events coming up around Christmas time. That's right. Which are always really good fun, actually. I've it's, got to make it to a long one this, yeah, this year. I, it, I should do. It feels like a really old-school, knees-up-round-the-piano type of thing, which is always really pleasing. Definitely. It doesn't seem to happen much uh, these days. There's a live band, booze. What more do you want at Christmas time? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so go and check those, those things out if you're in London uh, coming up to Christmas. Um, and yeah, the last thing I ask my guests uh, to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, goodbye. Thank you for listening, whoever you are. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> if you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship and again a little bit about masculinity then check out my essay series down to a sunless sea memories of my dad As well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook. And you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.